All right, so multi-time IndyCar championship winning engineer, part-time janitor for Dale Coyne Racing. <laughs> if you could describe this lunch in one word, what would it be? Conversational. That's very... It's like uh, such an engineering yeah, it's answer. Like, well, it's accurate. This is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Expect a full report. You know, I have a coworker. He liked to use the word suboptimal. <laughs> is that more accurate? Yeah. Well, sometimes that can happen. But, you know, like when like, like the wheel falls off after the pit stop and you yeah. just look over and go, that was suboptimal. Yep. <laughs> well, the wheels came off this a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Dinner with Racers, season number three. I am your host, Sean Heckman, along with the other host. Ryan Eversley. Oh, you. Me. Yeah. Go me. So if you hear the fatigue literally in my voice, uh, it's because we are finishing up a 34-day road trip that took us across 25 states for a total of 13,000 miles. I can't quite describe how much I hate you right now. To bring you 29 dinners that you get to listen to for free and maybe scrutinize maybe not either way it's free it won't change anything from our end and uh and we're literally uh just a couple hours out of atlanta where we will both arrive and fly out and probably never speak again most likely but when we were speaking one of the guys we met up with was none other than craig hampson now craig hampson is one of these behind-the-scenes guys we'd love to meet up with. He is a current engineer for Dale Coyne Racing's IndyCar program, uh, but he's been in the general IndyCar scene for a couple of decades now and is extremely, extremely accomplished. He began his career uh, working in the engineering side of Newman Haas Racing for some guy you may have heard of named Mario Andretti. Right. Uh, probably biggest accolades were uh, with Sebastian Bourdais in Tampa Car, where he was the guy that earned all of Sebastian's championships and has since gone on to work with Sebastian now at Dale Coyne Racing, where he gets to work in his beloved Chicago uh, and is generally just one of the coolest guys you could meet in, in this side of the sport. One of the things we learned about Craig Hampson was that he's very knowledgeable at speaking to people that aren't smart. <laughs> So he was able to help us understand a lot of things in layman's terms, and I could see him easily becoming a Steve Matchett or an on-air personality if he ever wanted to go that direction. Here are some of the things we learned about. We learned about being a junior engineer. Carl Haas, backstories about him. What makes a champion great? The guilt when a driver crashes big, like we saw at Indy this year with Sebastian Bourdais. And uh, life as a dad in motorsports. Now, Craig was actually so good when we sat down with him that you'll notice uh, in this coming episode, you're not going to hear a lot of uh, biography or sort of young engineer stories. Uh, and that's because we actually decided to table all that and put it in the next episode uh, for one very specific reason. We actually have a lot of fans uh, that are aspiring engineers or young college kids. Uh, we know this because we've actually had so many young and aspiring engineers come up to us and tell us they like the podcast. And we've realized over the years that, you know, with guys like Bill Riley and Brad Kettler, we've always had little moments where we talk about what it takes to become an engineer or talking about uh, Formula SAE and things like that. Uh, but we've never had sort of a standalone episode that was just dedicated to that. So we decided to pull out 
all of Craig's talking about sort of young engineering life and kind of put it in its own shorter self-contained episode, literally just for uh, the folks that, that want to hear about what it takes to, to become an engineer and, and Craig's experiences in programs like Formula SAE, what he did through college, what he did out of college, all the kind of things that if you're between the ages of, say, 15 and 22, uh, that's going to be the episode for you. So stay tuned to the next one. You're not going to hear too many stories about uh, uh, Craig's upbringing in this one, and that'll all be in the next one. We headed over to Chicago from Indianapolis. And uh, this was on National Hot Mold Cider Day. I love that day. That's a real day. That's my day. Uh, and uh, when you're out in Chicago, you got to go check out the Haymarket Pub and Brewery. I had the Big Mick Burger, but we had a giant pretzel appetizer that was unreal. The Soft Pretzel is the official name. Well worth it, as is their chicken sandwich. <sighs> Chicken you didn't, sandwich. You didn't have a chicken sandwich. I actually did have a chicken sandwich. You did not. I really did You have did a not sandwich. have a chicken sandwich. People don't believe you. Uh, Got there courtesy of a Acura MDX driven by Dario Franchitti. I really love this Acura MDX. I do too, Dario. Franchitti. Also, Continental Tire. They, Continental uh, <laughs> <laughs> That was amazing. <laughs> uh, they made this whole thing happen. You want to try it again? <laughs> Continental Tire. Sure. I'm Send it. I'm Fine. I'm still sick. We're done. We're good. I'm still sick from three weeks ago. Yeah. All right. Continental Tire. Craig Hampson. There, I got it. Go. I got it. Craig Hampson. Craig Hampson. Continental Tire. Be funny. I got it at the end. Go, Craig. Go, Craig. All right. We're going to start in five, four, three, two. You as well. Hey. Sean. <laughs> oh, have a seat. We'll just. Oh, yeah. yeah. As you can see, we're very professional. <laughs> you started early. That's good. Yeah, you're, a, you're an engineer because you're like not only on time, you're 13 minutes early. Okay. Uh, which, uh, I don't know if you ever worked with many race car drivers. Um, <laughs> there's a few who are functional, and there are some that, like, you got to drag out of bed. So, um, huh. <laughs> <Good virus. laughs> Let's get these on. Uh, do, do, you, do you want me to hold for a few minutes? Are you guys ready? Oh, we're good. We're good to go. Yeah. We're good to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, what? yeah. How dare you? Here, let me look at the menu. <laughs> oh yeah. Do that first. Let's do that. Do that. Test, test. Yeah, yeah. You're good. All right, good. But anyway, you were saying you uh, you know the owner, but you've never actually eaten here. Uh, yes. Um, so the restaurant is called uh, Haymarket. It's a brewery. They do their own uh, beers, that right. sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the area we're in in Chicago, uh, Rundell Street here, is a real foodie kind of area. There's right. a lot of really great restaurants, including. Uh, the Girl and the Goat, which has become very popular. Okay. Um, so John uh, had a tech company, did very well for himself, sold, uh, and then he has to do something to occupy his time. So one of the things is brewing beer. Right. Uh, but he's also a motor vehicle guy. He's okay. ridden ah, his motorcycle okay. across the country. Okay. Cool. Uh, he's got a Porsche 911 that's a track day car that right. he takes to places like Elkhart and yeah. Autobahn. Okay. Uh, so good people. Cool. Well, the, what's cool is that, like, if there's one thing I know about business, as you can see, I'm very wealthy. Um, <laughs> Podcast money. Uh, Motorsports and the restaurant business are guaranteed ways to make tons of money. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? A lot of race teams go out of business and a lot of restaurants go out of business. Yeah. So yeah. as as you can tell, it's a really lucrative industry. It's, it's where to go. <laughs> it's the place to be. You said that like as the waitress is looking right at us. She's like, no. <laughs> I no, hate these I, I, I need this job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I appreciate you inviting me. Oh, yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a great time to, great way to are spend you, a Saturday. Were you working today? Uh, we're not working today. Um, so the season ended 
about two weeks ago. Uh, usually the week right after the season, teams will shut down. Yeah. Right. Um, and then we, you know, get back together after that, and it's sort of plan of attack. How do we get going to be better for next year? Right. So there's already a lot of things in place for plans of uh, research and development that you'll do over the winter, things you need to do to improve the shop, improve right. the team. Sure. Uh, where are we going to go testing? Uh, you know, in terms of us with the IndyCar, there's a new aero kit coming, right. so all the logistics involved with that. Uh, you know, getting your cars converted over for the new kit. So all of sure. that is underway. Um, I, I do have two daughters who are 9 and 11. So right. I do my best to, you know, spend time with them on the weekends whenever I'm not traveling. Right. Sure. Um, but fortunately, they have gymnastics practice right now. Ah, I was so free for lunch. Okay. Out, Very so good. <laughs> um, and I'm glad we could do it in Chicago uh, because uh, Dale Coyne Racing is the only Chicago-based IndyCar team right. at this point. Uh, I have lived in Chicago, though I'm not from here. I've lived in Chicago since the tail end of 1993. So we've made our home here. Uh, and by coming down here to downtown Chicago, a place called Haymarket, uh, it's got a little Chicago theme and uh, flavor to it. Right. Where do right. you live local? So uh, I live north of the city, okay. uh, which is where Newman Haas Racing yep. was based. Yep. Right. So when I worked at Newman Haas, uh, by the end of it, I had a stellar commute. It was about 10 minutes. I could go <laughs> home for lunch. It right. was really great. Uh, but then with Newman Haas uh, going out of business, with Paul Newman's passing, uh, Carl getting sick, and then eventually passing away, uh, you know, Dale Coyne Racing is the only game in town. Right. Uh, so I'm really appreciative of the chance to work there with Dale and the crew. Right. But it is a terrible commute. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm about an hour in the morning, and that's at 6 a.m. Yeah. Right. Uh, then going home. And it's like home, five miles. Uh, and going <laughs> home, if I leave at the wrong time, it's two hours. Oh, so wow. I've either got to leave, you know, sort of really before I should leave, right. or I've got to wait until 6.30 to get, get out of there because right. it's a disaster. Right. You know, people who live in, you know, L.A. or Atlanta, they understand a bad yep. commute. Which is yeah. literally where um, we both yeah, live. Yeah, we're both from. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so, I'm L.A. I mean, so you yeah. guys get it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there are days it's pretty frustrating with the drive. Yeah, yeah for sure. But for only sure. game in town. And, and from what we've been told and just some research, like you – your deal is like you're staying in Chicago. Yeah, we, we have an anonymous source an anonymous uh, from source. Catalonia, Mexico, <laughs> and uh, and he says you've had some big name offers to work with some other teams that were not native to Chicago, and you said no, you're here with your family, and this is where you're going to be. Yeah, you know, uh, in between my time with Newman Haas and now the time at Coin, I worked at yeah. Andretti Autosport, so yeah. I was with them for four years. Uh, I had known Michael Andretti from Newman Haas. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I was his assistant engineer when he drove there. Uh, and, and he was kind enough to, you know, make me an offer to work with the team and then to allow me to do it remotely so I didn't have to move to Indianapolis because sure. right. that was definitely our and that's And now in sports car, that's common. A lot of engineers There's fly There's a lot of fly-in, yeah. right, 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 which right, is yeah, kind right. of our world. But now, but I think a lot of the time, a lot of the guys in sports cars, they're working sort of the race weekends. Sure. And yep. there isn't as much of, well, I also work during the yeah, week. Yeah, back at home. Right. Um, right. Whereas, you know, IndyCar, uh, because of the level it operates at and because of the people you're competing against – Penske, Ganassi, right. uh, it's a seven-day-a-week job. Right. Yeah. So, so you have to live you know, there. Uh, people often ask me, they're like, oh, you know, you do car races. What do you do when you're not racing the car? Yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm thinking about what went wrong last weekend, and I'm thinking about what I have to do this coming weekend, and right. I'm trying to make all the plans. You know, right. you're always working. Um, and particularly the Indy cars, they're maintenance-intensive. Yeah. Uh, there's some sports car teams that they literally will put the car in the truck after the race, 
they'll go to the next event, they'll haul it out of the truck right. maybe one or two days early, and they'll change it over and turn it around there. How dare that's you? Not the way Indy, <laughs> How dare that's you? not the way IndyCar works. I mean, we, we come back, we take the car to pieces. There's a whole lot of changes that have to happen in between right. each event. All your parts need to get crack checked, uprights rebuilt. Um, there's a lot of work that goes on right. in between. Um, you know, and then I like to think if you're doing it right, you do a lot of preparation and simulation right. and engineering yeah. and planning right. uh, ahead of time before each event. So it's a full-time job. Um, so circling back to when I was with Andretti, you know, I would uh, get up in the morning. Uh, Ollie will admit there were days I didn't shower, but <laughs> I would walk down the hallway and go to my spare bedroom, and right. I would be on station at 7 a.m., so right. I matched the office staff at Andretti, and the emails would start flying, and the conference calls would happen, and we'd have all the meetings and everything, and, you know, I'd upload setup sheets and thoughts for test plans mm -hmm. and things like that, and right. we would work that way. Um, you know, it worked well. We won two Indy 500s right. in the time I was there. Uh, so that, you know, all of that, I, I really appreciate it. The opportunity Michael and his staff gave me. Right. And there's a lot of really good people there that I miss. Right. Um, but, you know, being in your bedroom while everybody else is at a shop right. staring at the race car, it's just not the same. Sure. I believe it's um, true, yeah. You know, you do a conference call, you can't quite tell who's talking or yeah. if yeah. it's a joke yeah. or they're yeah. serious. Yeah. Um, and there is nothing like laying hands on the race car, yeah. actually just walking around and saying, you know, that, that could be shorter or lighter, or that looks like it's going to break, or right, we need right. to do a better job with that bit. And when you're remote from it, you, you just, you're just not doing the job as well as you could or should be. Sure. Right. Well, and such, I assume such an undefined part of motorsport that people within the paddock all know is that engineering or drivers or whatever it is, is all one component, but the team chemistry is a huge component in any race team. And if you're not Literally, they're taking the temperature of the room, I assume, at a certain point you're disconnected. Yeah, I mean, I think any business is a people business. Right. But while people, you know, they really focus on the driver or the car or the performance of the aero kit or the engine, the reality is this is a people business. Right. Yeah. Um, we spend a lot of time together. So uh, you, I think you almost have to think about it as like a little fire department unit or yeah. maybe a, yeah. a platoon yep. in the yeah, Army. Yeah, yeah, exactly. right? sure. We are living together. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody has to be best friends. You right. don't have to love each other. But oh, you we to, know. You need to respect <laughs> each other's skills. You need to be able to get along, work together, uh, fill in each other's, uh, the, the gaps in each other's skills right. and the holes right. that you've got. Um, and, and I think you need to sort of don't have too much pride, and when somebody says that we can do something better, that you can do something better, take that on board and, right. and try and improve on it. Right. Um, you know, uh, I tend to produce after each event uh, a list of, uh, you know, at Newman Haas it was called Notes and Problems. Yeah. Uh, at Delcoin I try to call it Notes and Issues, because yeah. Problems sounds very negative. negative right. yeah. <laughs> you mentioned uh, these reports, and actually back to our anonymous source from, from Catalonia. Who's your anonymous source? You uh, no, have to tell no, no one. You're That's not going to tell I'm me not who the tell source you. is. He's from Catalonia, Mexico. Catalonia, Mexico. And uh, we'll see. I, but, I, um, I know a guy from Catalonia, Spain. Is that is, the same? Is that a, that's the same thing. I thought that yeah, was the same thing. Yeah, he, uh, he actually has a different flag on the side of his car than you would normally expect. Him like his everyday have. driver, he has a flag on his car? Well, you know, like the, we put the driver's name and because oh, okay. we're an international gotcha. series, gotcha. Right. You know, we right. always put their right. flag so put their of their nationality. <laughs> um, and it wasn't and, a Spanish and, flag. And he, it was not a Spanish flag. He huh. identifies as, a, shall we say, a separatist region of the country. Mexico. Uh, yeah, right. Mexico. That's fair enough. Clearly. That's fair enough. So according to our Mexican um, friend. According to our Mexican friend, um, uh, he had a question, and, and uh, we'll just go ahead and go into it since we're talking about race reports. His question was, how many pages, race report kind of pages, uh, by the way, if we were sitting right now, he would literally be standing and be at our 
head height. Understood, um, but he's got big guns. He does. Big he does. Yeah. He does. Strong arms. Uh, <laughs> but how many pages, race report kind of pages, does Craig think more or less he has written make him really think about it? <laughs> wow. Okay, so the first thing I will say is that the post-event reports, um, I'm not doing a good job with it at Dale Coin Racing. Okay. Um, you know, Dale Coin Racing is a real small organization. Sure. Uh, and uh, everybody has to wear many hats, and yeah. there's a lot of things that you have to do that you might not have had to do at a larger group like an Andretti or even a Newman Haas. Sure. So in terms of post-event reporting, I have done a poor job this year. Uh, in because addition, you're doing so many damn other things. Because you're doing a lot of other things, <laughs> okay. um, including trying to be a dad and a husband. Sure, I get it. Um, I get so, it. You know, I get I, I, and, and including driving my car home right. for 90 minutes after each day. <laughs> um, it also, I will admit that I am conscious that the car is going to be a totally different car next year. Right. And so what you learned this year is not going to apply sure. in a lot of different ways. Yeah, you know, right. The new Aero Kit, it, it has a different weight distribution, which is one thing. Right. Because they've removed the bumpers off the back of the car. Right, the, right. the weight of the car is going to go forward by quite a bit. Yeah. That's going to cause Firestone to change the tires. Right. Sure. They're going to have to adapt that. Also, uh, the road course car is going to have a good 1,500, 2,000 pounds less downforce. Right. Um, it's going to require different springs, different dampers. Yeah. There's also talk of changing the damper rules to take out something called an inerter, yep. which is an yep. energy storage device yep. within the shock absorber. Okay. Um, so things are going to change a lot, and so I took that as an opportunity to be kind of lazy um, and not do as good a job on a post-event report. <laughs> My pre-event reports like are still just as long as our anonymous source okay. would have experienced. Okay. Um, so there's probably 25 pages written ahead of an event. Holy oh. shit. <laughs> okay, so the reason you uh, write so much of that. You're, you're not going to make it in you're, sports cars. <laughs> you're, you're looking back on, okay, what happened in previous years. Yeah. Just, you know, what were the lap times each session? What did you do well? What right. went wrong? Um, how is the car set up? And then I use those pre-events. Really, it's a, a mechanism for me to think about how do I expect the weekend is going to go, and when certain things happen, what am I planning to change on the car? Right. Uh, you also talk some about strategy, what strategies have worked well in the past, right. you know, uh, what strategies haven't worked right. out very well. Um, a post-event report, shall we say back in the day, uh, would probably vary between 60 and 100 pages. <laughs> <laughs> the worse per race. the worse you do, yeah. the longer, longer the report yeah. is. Okay. Because you're you're coming back, you're like, I don't understand what just happened. Right. You know, we were good in testing, we right. came there, we're junk. The more we tried to change the car, we got worse and worse. Right, right, right. I feel like I'm terrible at my job. Right. And then you spend a lot of time now trying is, to is understand. Is this you or is this anybody um, that does this? This is me who puts it together, but unfortunately the junior engineers who work under me will get sucked into the thing because but I then, give them like, assignments in, of in, I want you to look at that, I want you to right. look at that. In terms being commonplace to say indie car engineering does every engineer no do every, this, every, is, this, is this a craig hampson every, thing this is a craig hampson thing okay um and if i'm honest i would say we blame this procedure on a guy named guillaume rockland who okay. is rocky okay and uh, rocky and i worked together at newman haas for a time he okay. sort of brought this approach from formula one yeah okay and then he since went back to formula one to red bull is he okay. uh, vettel's guy or he was so vettel's he guy? was that vettel's rocky. race yeah. engineer yeah. at in formula one and then he was promoted up above that um nice. to become uh, uh, in charge of all the yeah, race the engineers on wow. that track side. All right. So uh, Rocky's very bright guy, works right. really, really hard, and he brought this uh, a way of approaching a race weekend to Newman Haas 
Um, and of course, I rolled my eyes and went, "Oh God, this guy's creating a huge amount of work for me." But now <laughs> I got to keep up there. Right. But it works. Right. And I really find I can't go into an event without it preparing it at that level sure. because I'm not going to be prepared. Yeah. Okay. Um, I ought to do the post-event reports at the same level, um, but I haven't been able to do it. Right. You know, coin being small uh, with the limited number of people, the limited amount of resources, uh, everybody there is working super hard, like way harder than and the sure. other IndyCar teams. Sure. Um, they're dedicated. Right. Uh, but I tell people, I'm like, it's the kind of place that if you see a trash can that's full, you may as well take that trash can right. out to the dumpster right. because no one else is coming yeah. right. to yeah, empty to the trash it. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, the race engineer will empty the trash can. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's just what you got to do. And uh, well, they, so the other part of it is, if you're writing a hundred-page report, it only works if there's people there to read it. You know, and so if everybody's doing a hundred jobs, like oh, my, my 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 wife teases me about this all the time. She's like, "What are you doing?" Like, I'm like, "Oh, I got to get the pre-event done yeah. you know, beforehand, or I got to get <laughs> yeah, this yeah. post-event done." She goes, "No one ever reads them. Why are you doing this?" <laughs> well, on the PR side, we have something in common. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, the press releases. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I read them. And, okay. and honestly, it's a it's a way for me to think about. I was all this of it. is your way of organizing your thoughts. But now let's let's move on to my, my current driver, who okay. is also my past driver, which is okay. Sebastian Bourdais. Sure, uh, never heard of him. People know of Bourdais as kind of a prickly guy, oh. um, <laughs> you know, because he has no filter, okay. and he says what he thinks. And he's and, French. And I believe, yeah, believes. that is French. You know, you say that, but we have another French engineer on the team who's good friends with Sebastian, right? And he's like easy going and funny and right. I mean yeah, they're from yeah. different areas of France sure, maybe sure. that's it yeah, I don't know yeah. sure. but no I think Sebastian is Sebastian yeah. sure okay um, but Sebastian is very bright right. and very detail oriented and works extremely hard at his craft and so if the pre-event report is late I get a phone call or oh, an wow. email oh, being no like kidding. where's the pre-event and then he reads the pre-event and then he calls up with comments about the pre-event. Wow. And then he says, what's wrong in the pre-event? <laughs> and at Newman Haas, when I did the post-event, he read the whole post-event religiously, and I would get a big, long, nasty gram back <laughs> saying, no, you wrote this, but I meant this. And you said this, but it's not actually that. Um, part of what makes Sebastian so good at his job is he's always thinking about it, always thinking about the race car, always thinking about how he can get better, how the team can get better, how the right. setup can be better. Yeah. Um, even to this point, you know, we had Sonoma, like, was it two, two weeks, weeks ago? ago yeah. uh, we had a rough weekend. He keeps calling up. He's like, well, what if we had done this with the setup? Or what if we had done that yeah, with the setup? I'm like, dude, yeah. it's over. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's we're like never like running the arrow kit again. Right. Like, but, you know, it's eaten that's at who him. He is. It's eaten at him yeah. that we missed. Right. Um, and that's unique to and Sebastian. That, it, well, I, we're not going to say it's unique to Sebastian. It's unique to champions. Got it. Sure. Guys yeah. who are at the very top level, a lot of the time, they're not the nicest of people. Right. They're self-centered. Right. They're looking around saying, what resources can I suck in mm -hmm. to yeah. make my effort as good as possible? Right. Yeah. And they're always working. It right. drives you nuts. Right. Complete. I mean, there are times I look at Sebastian where I'm just like, you just need to go away right now. <laughs> you know, like just, Not the time. just Not the leave time. us alone here for a little right. while. Um, but, I mean, it, it makes him great. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, um, when he started driving for Ganassi on the, the GT, the Ford GT sports yeah. car yeah. deal, yeah. I, I called Mike Hall, and I said, you know, he's awesome. Uh, if you listen to what he tells you about the car and you react to it, you will be that much better a team for it, and the car will be that much faster for it. And I think part of where he failed in Formula One, you know, he would when he went to Formula One, I, I'd get, I don't know, every month or something, I'd get this phone call for therapy. <laughs> um, 
you know, and, and he'd be just miserable. Yeah. And a lot of the misery was that the car was behaving in a certain way that he did not like, yeah. and they were unwilling to change the car yeah, to, right. to adjust to it. Need, yeah. um, you know, and meanwhile, he's got Sebastian Vettel as a rookie teammate who's kicking just his tail, yeah, and yeah. he was just sort of unfortunate that he showed up there with the guy who ended up being a four-time world champion. And Vettel could drive it, and Sebastian couldn't, and because Vettel's going fast, they're not going to change the car. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And, you know... What Seb wants to see is that you're making an effort to change the car to what it is right. he feels like he needs. Right. And as long as you're making that effort, he's cool. Yeah. He wants to see the effort. Right. right. Um, you know, if I think about Sebastian Bourdais at Newman Haas, you know, to pick the driver who was replacing Cristiano D'Amata, uh, we had a shootout down at Sebring, and we oh, invited a number of drivers. Okay. Um, originally, we thought the drive was going to go to Justin Wilson. Okay. Um, Justin was a favorite of Lola's. Uh, he had done very well in Europe. He was kind of a shoe-in for the thing, but Justin decided quite last minute that he was going to take whatever backing he had and go and, and get a minority ride in Formula One. So he was out, um, and the shootout was, let's see if I can remember who was there. So it was Sebastian Bourdais, Ricardo Zonta, oh, uh, who okay. had been a Formula yeah, yeah, One yeah. driver for a number of years. Um, we had Brian Sellers there. Yeah, he was, he was there. Um, he had won a prize in, like, I don't know, it was like Ford 2000 yeah, or something. Yeah. And as part of that prize, he got to drive the car. But yes. he was officially considered within the shootout. Yeah. And then John Fogarty, who went on oh, to yeah. have a long, he had, he had driven an Atlantic he's, driver. He's in our world. Had yeah, a yeah, long yeah. sports so. car career. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we gave the, each of the guys an equal amount of time uh, and threw different tasks at them. Things like, you know, okay, uh, cold tires, leave the pits, do three laps as fast as possible, and then show up back here. Right. Or go out and we want you to hit X fuel number and make good fuel mileage, right. but still go fast. And, you know, we would make changes on the car without telling them what they were and asking them, you know, what they felt the car did and things like that. Um, if I'm honest, the guys on the team really wanted Fogarty hey. because we wanted an American. Yeah, of the course. Americans wanted yeah. an American, and he had been like the up and coming American star. Um, the fastest lap time overall was not done by Bourdais. Zonta actually did a lap that was faster than what Bourdais did. But where you saw Bourdais' intensity was in things like when he came to make his seat, he personally then trimmed the seat right. exactly how he wanted it to be. You know, he had a knife out and he massaged it and made it just so. Um, he got in the car and he drove it. And this is the car that just won the championship, right? right. It won like seven races yep, in the yep. championship. And he comes in and he's immediately bitching about the traction on the thing. He's <laughs> like, the back isn't good enough. We need to improve the traction for me to go faster. It's going to wear out the rear tires, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. yada. Uh, when the other drivers were driving, Sebastian got a headset on and stood on the telemetry stand listening to everybody talk. Right. You know, it was clear the guy who was the most keen on the whole thing in all the little bits of stuff that were going on was Bourdais. And by the end of the day, we're on the phone to Carl Haas saying, all right, you got to get this guy. That's right. the guy. Right. Um, you know, so sometimes it's really obvious. Other times it's not as obvious. You know, like uh, James Hinchcliffe, who's a good friend and who I have a lot of admiration for as a driver. We won, I think, three IndyCar races together. Um, you know, in Atlantics and then in Lights, he was not an instant success by any means, you know, and he will freely admit that as a go-kart driver in the lower echelon, he wasn't that good. And he had to really work at it um, to, to find the speed and to figure out what he needed to do with his, his driving. Um, but I think in some ways that's made him very thoughtful about his driving and analytical about what he's doing, and it has made him stronger for it, you know. 
And, you know, I, I've never worked with Juan Montoya, but I've heard Juan is just super fast. And he's just like, whatever you do with the car, I don't know. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I'll drive. Get yeah. You know, he just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Doesn't, doesn't worry yeah, too much about close. it. So, you know, every, every one of them is a different personality. Right. But, you know, Newman Haas Racing was created in Mario Andretti's image. You know, it was created specifically for Mario Andretti. And Mario was one of the guys who was right there at the cusp of the development of car setup, of race engineering, of tire engineering, all that kind of stuff. Uh, to the point I understood that in, in his career, Mario kept a notebook about every test, every time he drove the car, every change he made, what it did, what he thought it was. Um, and so Newman Haas was always portrayed as very engineering centric. And that was because that's what Mario wanted. He wanted technical stuff and engineers to talk to and people who would respond to how he wanted the car set up. And Board A just sort of slotted right into that, that and yeah. kept that, that going. Kept in that model, um, so. Which was good. Does he have, like, a nickname for you? No, I don't think so. Uh, the only guy who really – so uh, when I started at Newman Haas, uh, 94, um, everybody, everybody, like the mechanics, they've all got nicknames, yes, right? Okay, you know, there'd be all these people on the team, and they'd have this, this A name that had no relation to their real name. Right, so right, right, you couldn't right. figure out what anybody's real name yeah. actually was. Scooter. There was one guy that, like, if you called him by his real name, you'd get upset at you, so yeah. you oh, had wow. to use the yeah. nickname. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Um, so uh, my, my middle name – all right, I'm going to give it out. All right. Is Eugene. Eugene. Okay. All right. That's okay. rough. Okay. It's a family name. It's I don't know. There's, like, there's, there's like great grandparents named <laughs> Eugene and stuff like that. Yeah, so my middle name is Eugene. So, but I don't use Eugene. I just use E if I, if I have okay. to put it all on right. something. Yeah. So all the design drawings I do would be C.E. Hampson. And, of course, the mechanics are like, what's the E for? I'm like, I don't want to talk yeah, about here it. We go. What's <laughs> the E for? I don't want to bring it up. <laughs> no swirling. So um, they decided to nickname me Ernest. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like that, there was that, like, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, Ernest, Ernest yeah, 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 and yeah, that yeah, whole deal. Yeah, Jim so, um, and at the time, uh, the, the other uh, data engineer, a guy named Todd Boland, who has ridden, yeah. risen quite high within the NASCAR level, um, he's from Louisiana originally, so he was Gomer. <laughs> so we had Ernest and Gomer were the two data guys. Yeah. Um, and that's what the mechanics called everybody. So Mario Andretti, to this day, calls me Ernest. I'm not sure if he really knows what my real name is, that's but awesome. he knows me as Ernest. Right. So he'll walk up in pit lane and he'll shake my hand. Hey, Ernest, you're doing a good job this year. It's like, well, thanks, Mario. I really appreciate that. You know. One of the... Uh, Kind of thinking about the now that we're in 2017. One of my big fears, especially with IndyCar in particular, is is I don't want Carl Haas to be forgotten for what he gave into the sport. And um, you're probably the most qualified guy we've had on to really talk about what Carl Haas did to sort of elevate the sport and what he put into that team. Are there any like what, what was that dude like? Uh, Carl was an interesting guy. Yeah. Um, okay, so Carl Haas, uh, self-made man, right. Um, made his wealth in motor racing associated activities. Uh, you know, started actually as a driver in the 50s. Um, you know, would race at Elkhart Lake, SCCA Chicago region. Um, and then people would talk to him about, you know, where'd you get that car? Where did you get those parts? And he basically figured out the ins and outs of importing things from England right. to supply to SCCA racers. Right. And that was the start of Haas Auto. Right. And Haas Auto, even though Carl has passed, is still in operation. Right. Um, you know, his, his wife, Bernie Haas, uh, yep. still owns it, still goes to the office every single day. Uh, and there's a, a dedicated group of guys there who are still servicing things like Hewland transmissions, uh, parts into the Mazda Road to Indy program, cool. parts into the sports car paddock. Um, 
you know, uh, dynamics, uh, dampers. Yeah. Uh, so that is all still going on. But basically, Carl was your go-to guy to buy a Lola or a Hewlin gearbox or, you know, different kinds of things that you needed to go. AP brakes was another one that, that you needed to go racing with. Um, so he actually was the on the business side first before he became a racing team owner. Um, but then once you're selling race cars, the next logical thing to do is to race the car, to advertise that it's fast. Uh, so he was involved in some programs that, you know, put a Lola in the, uh, on the Indy 500 grid. Uh, there was the Formula 5000 series. There was Can-Am. Um, and then the, the later version of Can-Am. Uh, lots of different things. And so when the uh, later version of Can-Am was folding up, um, Paul Newman participated and Carl Haas participated. They had separate teams. Um, Carl had talked to Mario Andretti and said, I'd like to do an IndyCar team and I would like for you to drive. And Paul Newman had Budweiser sponsorship um, because Paul, great guy, uh, was an everyday man and liked to drink Budweiser. And so it was a perfect, uh, you know, perfect alignment there. <laughs> and so uh, in reality, I think at first Paul and Carl didn't get along when they were rival team owners. Sure. Uh, but, you know, Carl approached him and said, Paul, I'd like to have a team. And Paul said, no. And then uh, <laughs> Carl said, but I've got Mario Andretti. And Paul said, aha, maybe <laughs> we could do talking. something. Right. right. Um, so they put it together. And it was based in Chicago because Carl Haas lives in Chicago. Fair enough. Um, and the team always operated out of, you know, there were, I think, three different shops during the life of the team. Um, but it always operated out of the northern Chicago area. Uh, for the most part, Carl ran the day-to-day -day operations. You know, what kind of equipment are we going to buy? How are we going to finance this? Uh, Paul, in some ways, was a fan. Sure. Paul wanted to be a regular guy at the racetrack. Right. He didn't want to talk about what movie he was working on or the yeah, fact yeah, whether yeah, he was nominated for an Academy Award. He wanted to hang out with the guys at the bus, talk about... What are they wrenching on right now? How's the car handling? What do we need to do for next year? Hang out with the driver. Just be one of the yeah, guys. Just be yeah. Guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that was a great outlet, I think, for Paul. Right. Um, you know, every now and then he would call. Like, my phone would ring, and I'd pick it up and be like, Craig, it's Paul Newman. I'm like, whoa, hi. Oh, hello. Uh, <laughs> what do you need? He's like, What's this about the damper rule? I'm like, okay, so i got to explain the shock absorber right. rule to Paul Newman. Right. Um, but it, for the most part, Carl and his wife, Bernie, ran the team on the day-to-day -day basis. Right. Um, Carl had, I thought, pretty amazing vision um, in terms of this is the way the, the sport needs to go or this is what I need to do to make the next step forward for competitiveness. Um, you know, he would finance the construction of the Lola chassis each right. year, uh, deeply involved in the development of first the Chevy A Ilmore engine and then the, the, Co the Ford Cosworth XB that right. uh, dominated in Indianapolis. Um, you know, some things didn't work out. You know, we tried the Swift IndyCar program yep. for a while. That didn't work out. I think we clung to Goodyear tires longer than we should sure. have. And as a result, we sort of robbed, I think, Michael Andretti of a couple good years of his career. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, he just had a real knack of picking the right people or the right thing. Um, you know, I'm sure people have heard the stories that in some ways Carl was a bit of an odd bird. You know, he'd always have the cigar in his mouth. He had good luck cigars yeah, I mean, and bad luck cigars. Yeah. We, yeah, we literally know nothing about him beyond the photos. So that's what, <laughs> like, that's what I was curious yeah, about. Yeah, so, uh, like, you know, if, if like. the race was going well, yeah. he'd chuck the, uh, he'd keep the cigar okay. and keep chewing on it. If the race was going badly, he'd chuck the cigar away and put in a new cigar, cool. thinking that that will change the luck. <laughs> um, you know, he had a, 
uh, a notebook when he was constantly writing things in during the race and he had a stopwatch going and it kind of looked like he was writing race strategy or or uh, lap times or something but it actually was the same sort of mantra over and over again uh, he's just okay. you know he would do the the blessing of the car people okay. would see him do that and the story off told but i'll tell it again one year at mid-ohio bobby rahal's car mario andretti's car they're both red they're both on the front row they look the same and carl blesses the wrong car he blesses bobby rahal's car bobby rahal goes on to win the race and for the rest of his life carl was convinced that he had cost the team the race because he had blessed the wrong car. And I wow. guess Bobby Rahal was in the car noticing what was going on, and the mechanics were like, we'll get him away. And Bobby's like, no, 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 no. let it happen. This, this could yeah, be yeah. good. Yep. This yeah, could yeah, help yeah. us. I um, did that. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, we went and participated in the Indy 500, even though we were a, a champ car cart team. Yep. Uh, we went back to the Indy 500 and participated for the first time in 2004, I think is right. And we were, because of our previous association with Toyota, you know, winning the championship with Damata, we were going to be a Toyota. And in fact, we had tested the car in Toyota form. And we're getting ready for Indy in all of about, I don't know, five weeks before Indy, Carl suddenly comes down and he goes, we're going to run Hondas. And we're all like, oh my God, do you have any idea how hard this is going to be? Right. Like we have to change wiring looms and exhausts and the yeah. whole car needs to change around. And like, we're not ready. We don't have the time. We're trying to race the, in the other car. You know, you get it done somehow. And sure enough, the Honda was the motor to have that yep, year, yep. and the Toyota was not. And you're sitting there going, how did he know how to do that? Right. Like, he knew. How did he know? Newman Haas was a family. Uh, the people who work there will tell you that. that it felt like something special. Um, there's a lot of really good teams out there, but there was an atmosphere within that group that, that really felt like a family, and that started from the Haases and then trickled down from there. Um, you know, a race team really isn't its building or its cars or its machine shop equipment. All that stuff can be bought and sold, and if you ever go to a race car auction, like when the team is shut down, the stuff gets sold for pennies on the dollar. Yep. It's really depressing. <laughs> the, what a team is is the people who work there and the knowledge that they have. And if you're able to keep your people around for a really, really long time, and they work well together, and they develop their knowledge together, that's what makes you strong. When we look at photos of Carl, again, I've, I had never met him, never heard him speak. All I hear in my head is him going, eh. <laughs> that's, just, that's what the look looks like. With the, like what, was he a talkative guy? Was he somebody who would like sit there and tell hilarious stories, or no. was he like a few words kind of guy? He was definitely a few words yeah. kind of guy. Right. Uh, every now and then the subject would completely changed to a 180 and you're not quite sure what happened okay um he was a hard <laughs> negotiator right uh, for sure you know particularly i think if you talk to the drivers but even me you know talking to him like you'd come out of something thinking okay i'm going to be paid x and then your paycheck shows up and it's like x minus something and you got to go back in you're like what wait i thought we uh, had an agreement okay. and you know um you know I, and uh but he was he did a great job you know raising sponsorship and and putting programs together um you know, I think in terms of raising sponsorship, we had a, an unfair advantage there because when you can wheel Paul Newman yeah. in a room with but a board or a yeah, CEO, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a very valuable thing. Right. Um, You're also using the last name Andretti on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's we're going we're to segue to a different topic sure. here right now. But, like, racing is economically very, very hard. And the reality is a lot of this is going on just 
because of donations by the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Dale Coyne himself, I believe, puts in, in more of his personal money every year than anybody in IndyCar other than Roger Penske. Right. I mean, Dale funds that thing out of his pocket. Right. And part of you looks at him and you're like, what are you doing? Like, that's millions of dollars. And he's doing it because for him and for, for his wife, Gail, yeah. this is what they do. And right. this is what they love. Right. You know, so they're willing to spend a lot of money on what is effectively sort of a hobby. It's the thing right. they enjoy doing. But, you know, from a business perspective, you'd like to see it be a viable business. Right. Where you can raise enough sponsorship money to cover the costs of, of the car and the crew right. and the staff <laughs> and the travel and then hopefully have a little profit left over that it the business grows or the the owner can take a, a cut do something sure um they used to be able to do that they cannot do that and haven't been able to do that for quite some time you know if you look at people who used to be team owners people like barry green or Derek walker yeah um those guys started as mechanics and worked their way up and grew to a point that they could own a racing team right and it wasn't a money-losing proposition. Right. It was at least a break-even proposition. Right. Right. There is absolutely no way to do that right now. Right. So somehow or another, we need to get the sport to the point where it can be that again. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the solution is, but I think we maybe need to look at it. May, we may be looking at the problem somewhat backwards. Uh, we may need to look at, say, okay, well, in terms of the amount of exposure that we get on the Internet, on podcasts like yours, yep. on television, on people watching it on YouTube, and then the people in the stands, we can raise X dollars worth of sponsorship for the year. So that's how much sponsorship you can raise. We need to figure out how a team can be conducted on that amount of money. Right, right. Um, and that's a really hard step from where we are right now. You know, just the realities of how much the cars cost, replacement parts cost, yep. The, you just moving the truck around costs. Um, I mean, driver salaries have gone down dramatically, yep. but you know they're a, a drop in the bucket compared to some of the other things, and it's just not—it's it, it, not a viable business right now. It's—it's it's a viable sport because of the graciousness of the owners like Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi right. or Dale Coyne or Michael Andretti, but. Um, You'd really like to see those people, their efforts rewarded, and they can at least break even or make some money, and, and they can't right now. There is tons of sponsorship money in podcasting. Yeah. Yeah? There's huge. This yeah. is working out I, well I, for oh, me. You saw, you saw the MDX. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It is quite nice. I, I understand that may have something to do with your other job. Yeah. No, but yeah, um, we're kind of business to business here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Pulling from one to the other. So that's the one out there with all the decals. Oh, did on you it? notice that? How'd you I, notice? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I parked. I was like, "Well, they're here." I could tell that <laughs> it's you, working. You literally drive that thing around. Oh yeah. We just with all those decals. Oh yeah. yeah. As, of, as of like this week, yes. Okay. It's a lady yeah. killer. Look ridiculous in the Whole Foods parking lot. How dare that. you? Um, How dare you? <laughs> it worked. You knew it. Um, you do yeah. understand this means you've got to keep your driving like sort of sane and not do 100%. anything offensive oh, we, on the street. We yeah. So this. like, I picked the car up from the guy that does the wraps, Foxy Wraps in Atlanta. And it's maybe like 20 minutes from my house. And within five minutes, I've got people cut me off and doing more crap than I've ever had in any car. And on you the can't street. retaliate. Like, you can't do anything. <laughs> exactly. They're going to phone it's up. Like, okay. Yep. Yeah, it's been like that the whole trip, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I kind of uh, not to get too much into fixing the world's problems, but uh, I mean, obviously, you're on the engineering side, not the commercial side. Uh, we talked about this a little bit with Mike Hall, but let's. Uh, 
10, 15 years ago, there was sort of a fundamental shift, I believe, in most forms of racing, especially sports car and, and IndyCar, where it went from a manufacturer-based model to a customer-based model. Um, in other words, now everything is spec, now we're purchasing this chassis and everything's homologated, we're purchasing this tire, there is no open formula. But here's where the downside of that comes in, is that now the cost burden is placed 100% on the teams to go out and figure out, as opposed to the manufacturer picking up a lot of the tab because they're trying to compete with this guy and that guy. Um, and I would always argue that teams are the least equipped uh, because they're just small organizations to go out and find that sponsorship dollar or just find that money compared to, say, a large automotive manufacturer or something to that effect. Um, do you believe that in terms of the actual money spent out of, say, uh, you know, the, the actual checks that Carl Haas was writing or now Dale Coyne or whoever, are they spending more money than they would have when it was more open? Um, yes, they're spending a lot more money. Yeah. But they're spending a lot more money because they used to have the backing of sponsors. Right. And they used to have the backing of a manufacturer. Now, right. I, I don't want to undersell. You know, Honda does contribute. Absolutely. Well, you we're know, not going to uh, badmouth Honda, trust yeah, me. So. Yeah, Chevrolet does contribute right. within yeah, the IndyCar series. Of course. And if you look in sports cars, there's a lot of manufacturers right. who are contributing. You know, Ganassi, for example, at the right. Ford GT program. Right. Um, but the level of contribution, and particularly the level of sponsorship, uh, it, it's not what it once right. was. Um, you know, some of the profit that was made came from those sources, and right. those sources don't necessarily exist anymore. The scary thing about manufacturer backing, or even manufacturer programs, is that they come and go, sure. and, and they can come and go pretty suddenly. Right. If you look at what happened in the, uh, the, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the World Endurance yeah, Championship, exactly. Right? They had a, a good fight going on between Porsche and Audi, and Peugeot was there for a time, and Toyota was there. Right. And then you know you, you, the, the global economy catches a cold, or you get caught cheating your emissions yeah, software, no, and suddenly you're, yeah, yeah, you're, you're pulling you're out. Pulling a billion and dollar fine, right sure. now, you're looking at Le Mans next year, and Toyota still seems to be there with nobody to race yeah, against. Absolutely. So. And then Toyota's going to look at that and go, well, this is silly, right. and they're going to pull out too. So. In a very short period of time, you have a very strong championship, and it disappears to nothing. Right. And uh, you know, part of why that happened in what was Champ Car uh, Cart uh, was that the manufacturers decided they couldn't live without the Indy 500, so they transitioned right. over to the Indy 500. Right. And then they did that for a couple of years, and they just said, you know what, we're bored with it, and it became a spec series with Honda. Right. Um, there has to be a return for those manufacturers, and that return has to be there continuously. Sure. I have a bit of an interesting perspective living up here in Chicago as right. opposed to most of the guys who live down in Indianapolis. Which puts you in a bubble, sure. Indianapolis yeah. is a bubble. Right. Um, there is still this sort of thought within Indianapolis that um, IndyCar is big time. You know, it's still the oh, NFL yep, or something because nope. it's in the it's, paper, it's on the television, it's yep. on the news. You migrate out of that area and it disappears. Yep. It is not in the Chicago Tribune up here. Nope. The Indy 500 does not end up on the nightly news up here in Chicago. People who live on my street have no idea what I do for a job. They, it's just totally foreign to them. Um, I think in some ways, and it won't happen because of all the relationships between the Speedway and IndyCar and the George family, but I think in some ways IndyCar could benefit if their headquarters was somewhere else. Just to get that, some that other sense state, of reality. Yeah. Go to L.A. or, I don't know, Detroit yep. or New York City or something where uh, you can understand a little better where you stand within, within the culture of the country. Um, and then, you know, you have better access, I think, to some of the resources to try and grow your brand. Yeah. Can you guys hear me in this? Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you hear like us? Uh, this yeah. My daughter is 11. Okay. 
which means it's still five years before she gets a driver's license. And a couple um, of years before she's smarter than you. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, she, oh, she already there. Oh, she's already there. there. Okay. No, we already got All that right. going. Good. Um, so uh, my, the car that I drive on a, a regular basis, I'm putting a lot of miles on it, going back and forth from uh, Deerfield to Coins Shop, and it's uh, it's pretty ratty and it's having a lot of reliability issues. And so my wife is like, "Look, you got to get a new car." I'm resisting it, but. It probably has to happen. So my daughter has decided that clearly whatever car that I get next is the car that she gets in high school. Of course. So and I'm she's get- 11. <laughs> but she's 11. But I'm getting these, like, text messages and, you know, screenshots and this, that. You know, how about this one, Dad? And I'm just like, number one, you're 11. And yeah. number two, no, we're not getting you right. a car that expensive. But right. she has homed in on a Civic mm-hmm. Type R. Mm. That ah. is what she wants. Right. Um, but... The real selling point is that you can apparently buy an option with lights that go underneath that make it look like it's yeah. like floating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for an 11 year old, mm-hmm. that's pretty that cool. That is the hot and spec feature. Your, well, that's what we're aiming for. Yeah. And you're how <laughs> old? You're roughly what age? Uh, I am uh, 47, almost 48. I mean, a 48 year old guy with lights under the Civic. Oh, that's I'll, a good look. Yeah, I'll, that's I'll, a good look. I'll, I'll totally. Uh, you can totally, that in Chicago. Totally hey, fit it. There's all yeah. sorts of stuff out not, here. Yeah, up where I Maybe live. Maybe not in your neighborhood. There's yeah. a whole lot of like Teslas running around. <laughs> um, so, uh, right yeah, in. we'll see. In fact, uh, because the car had uh, my my regular driver had some reliability issues, I was right. working on the car in the driveway. Right. Um, I replaced the lower ball joint, uh, <laughs> which you know a lot of people don't do anymore. I wasn't very good at it, but I did manage to pull it off. And people would be, like, walking their dog and, like, staring at me. Like, what are you doing working on your own car were you, in the driveway? Were you wearing pants? Because, I mean, that. No, I mean, I was dressed. And then, you know, and I, I had it up on jack stands, like, overnight one night. And my wife calls me. She's like, a lady just pulled up and took a picture of your car in the driveway. And I'm a little worried she's turning you into the town. And can you finish your car soon? Because this is getting really embarrassing. Dave, check and, out this asshole. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's not like a real big car town. Um, I mean, people have nice cars, but, like, they don't work on them. Um, <laughs> right. And they certainly don't know what an Indy car is. Right. Uh, <laughs> I did have this one friend. He's a contractor. He builds houses. And he is a car guy. And uh, he got himself one of those uh, Shelby Mustangs. Oh, right. And then he, he upped it more with a supercharger and a bunch okay. of other stuff. Yeah. And he takes it for some track day stuff at Elkhart. And uh, one day he just shows up in my driveway. He's like, I just got the supercharger on. You're the only person I could think of who would appreciate <laughs> this. Let's go for a drive, you know. So we got in. And, oh, and it, it was terrifying. I, right. wasn't, I mean, it's like, man, I hope I get home. Um, but, yeah, I, I am, shall we say, a bit of a misfit in the neighborhood. So We're doing normal things. Yeah, about to say for what is, to us, pretty normal. So your daughters are 9 and 11? 9 and 11, yes. So parent meetings or open house night or whatever. You've got the cool job, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you work in NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a different job than most people know, right. and it does have you know aura of being interesting. I'll say. Cool. I mean, you've been working in NASCAR for so long. Not NASCAR. Among, no. IndyCar. I no. I know this, okay. but I mean, among the parents, oh, you work in NASCAR. Yeah, he's a NASCAR Gosh, guy. Your point yeah. is completely correct. Yeah. Yeah. They yep. think so. that the only kind of racing in the world is NASCAR. And clearly, yeah, absolutely, so is you're true. clearly right next to Dale Jr. every day. Yeah, Dale no. Gordon. Yeah, Dale, Dale Gordon. Dale Gordon. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> how, yeah. How does it like? Do they try and talk cars with you? Like, I, you don't strike me as a huge car guy more than a racing guy. Um, 
but I imagine you get a lot of the car guy talk. And yeah, you're just yeah, trying there's, to get there's out of definitely it. some car guy talk. You know, every now and then you run into the super fan somewhere. Like a guy really? will stop me in the airport. Wow. Uh, once we took the family to Blue Man Group down here in Chicago. Oh, and yeah, a guy yeah, yeah. in line at Blue Man Group right, saw you? me. No sh It does happen. Um, <laughs> so on one side, I'm really appreciative of the super fan because those people are the ones who make the sport possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I, absolutely, yeah. I, I but, really like it. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, there's sort of a limited amount of time I maybe want to talk to you when I'm out with my family, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I really do always try, and I particularly try when it's young kids. Right. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the sport ain't going to make it unless right. young kids are interested and engaged. Right. Back to school night, unfortunately, I don't make half of them. Oh, like, yeah, like, I guess, yeah. You know, it is it is really hard to raise a family, yeah. be a good father, be a good family man in this business. Right. And my point that I make to people is there's a lot of guys who travel for work, but they travel from Monday to Friday. Yep. And it's a one day life trip. in America is really pretty much structured around being home on the weekends because yep. that's when weddings are yep. or family picnics yep. are or the soccer game is. The fact is, when you go racing, because we are the circus that comes to town and we're there to entertain mm -hmm. people, we travel on the weekends. You know, right. so I will miss 20-something, maybe more than that, weekends a year. Yeah. Um, and I feel very bad for my children. Like, it is not fair to them. I feel bad for my wife because she's got to totally carry the whole burden. Right. Um, you know, and it, it shows up in interesting ways. Like, my wife has said that my kids have asked her what kind of job means you don't have to travel on weekends? Wow. Or what kind of job means you don't have to travel? For their own sake or for, for their own change? sake? Okay. Yeah, you know, like I, they're thinking towards their life and right. like, how do oh. I do this so I don't have this kind of sad side how, effect? How right do on. I not be like that? How do I not be like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, that, that's unfortunate, right. you know, and I have kind of attempted to not exactly retire, but get out of being the <laughs> at-track race engineer right. a number of times Was that the goal with Andretti? Um, so I actually did it for a period of time with Newman Haas where okay. I didn't go to all the races. Okay. And then with Andretti, I had three years where I didn't go to all the races. Right. Um, so I did that so I could try to be home with the family. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, what I found was that I, I am wrapped up enough in it that I didn't feel like yeah. if I'm not at the races, I don't know what's going on. And I also don't feel like I have as much influence as I could on trying to make things better. So when right. there's a struggle going on, I don't feel like I can help to fix it. Right. Um, and I'd get, I'd get grumpy, you know? Right. Like if, if you're sitting on your sofa with your family, but you're watching timing and scoring, well, that's, that's that, the sign of a problem. And that's what I'm saying. Like you go to the gymnastics tournament and all you're sitting there is doing, looking at TNS and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no good, it's, so, it's yeah, not yeah. a good thing. So. You know, and then, uh, you know, in particular, Andretti's had a really rough year a year ago. Right. Um, you know, and I felt powerless to really help them with it. And my wife kind of, to her credit, she looked at me and she said, if you're going to be like this when you're at home, you should go back to be racing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and like that's much harder on her, but she recognized that something was eating me from inside right. and that, you know, I felt very disconnected and, and, and struggling. And so, you know, I, I appreciate that. I really wish there was a way that I could balance things better because I honestly feel like I, I'm not doing as good a job as I should as a family man, as a dad. And because of what I try to do with them, I'm also not doing as good a job as I should for the, racing the race team. team. Yep. Because it is the kind of sport that every extra hour you put in uh, has some payoff. You could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you will run better for doing that. Mm -hmm. You will create more tools and have more speed and more success and new parts and all that kind of stuff. 
and and you have to really be careful not to burn yourself out over mm -hmm. that because I spend a lot of time going, maybe I should be working right now. I know the Penske guys are working right now. You know, Roger's probably gotten working like nine days a week. He's in some <laughs> special time warp machine that he has paid for. Right. Um, you know, so I, I wish there was some way to balance it, but I have not successfully found that balance point. Right. Um, you know, I feel like a Wednesday night racing league would be awesome. Yeah. You know, you yeah. travel out on Monday, you race on Wednesday, you're back on Thursday, I could be home with the kids. Yeah. And in some ways, I actually think that could be popular because there's nothing on Wednesday. There's nothing on, on Wednesday yeah. night, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. go race on Wednesday night, and you know, maybe we'll get a little better of a TV audience. So, when they get that started, or you know, if you guys start that up, give me a ring. I'm in. All right, I'm in. All right. The other funny thing about the kids is they think just everybody knows race car drivers. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> like the whole like Hinchcliffe yeah. on Dancing with the Stars. Oh yeah, thing. yeah. You know, they're talking. Yeah, their, yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're making their ten calls on their phone. You know, yeah. to vote for Hinch, and they're telling their friends like, oh yeah, that's James. He's our buddy. He's yeah. on Dancing with the Stars, and you know, they obviously know Sebastian, and they know Oriole, and. Um, it's just kind of funny that they just think, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah dad, dad knows yeah. these guys. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> um, then there's the, the darker side of it, which right. in the time my kids have been alive, I have had to tell them about Dan Weldon. Yep. I have had to tell them about Justin Wilson, right. who they knew. Yeah, but say who you work with. So. I had to tell them that James was badly hurt yep. at Indianapolis. Um, and while he was going to survive, he was badly hurt, and he did almost die. Right. And then this past year, I had to tell him about Sebastian getting badly hurt today. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact that they know these people yeah. as human beings. At a really you know, And age. in fact, yeah. Justin has two daughters uh, very similar in age to yeah. mine. Yeah. Sebastian has kids very similar in age to mine. Uh, you know, that brings a reality to it that, it that is tough. Right. You know, and, you know, I think sometimes the drivers would say, oh, you know, my kids are okay with it, or they aren't aware of it, or whatever. Well, you know, Sebastian's daughter has talked to my daughters yeah. about Justin's death. Yeah. Like, they know. They're yeah. aware. And that's that's hard. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's hard. You know, and people are like, oh, do you just love Indianapolis? And I'll be honest, no. Yeah. I don't love Indianapolis. I know it's a really big deal. I desperately want to be the race engineer to win it sometime. Right. But I am fully aware of the consequence of what can happen out there every time we send the driver out. You know, the fact is the car is going around the corner 238 miles an hour. Yeah. When the string breaks, it is a massive wreck. Right. And the odds of getting hurt are very high. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Um, you know, I much prefer road and street course racing because, uh, you know, the odds of getting hurt are lower. Right. Um, well, like, so qualifying this year, you know, obviously Sebastian goes into turn two. That's your car. You set it up to run like that. You know, that, I mean, there's very few impacts where it's visually really bad. Yeah. And I, we all saw that one went, oh, yeah. that's, that's not going to be a good day. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's the first thing that goes through your head because you set that car up? Um, totally feel responsibility. Yeah. To this day. Really? Um, absolutely. Feel yeah. full responsibility. And people say, oh, but he's the one driving it. I said, no, it's an equal effort. Yeah. Yes, he's driving it. And the car did actually give him a signal it was going to do that beforehand. Yeah. And at that point, he should have backed out of it. And he will say, I should have backed out of it. But it was qualifying at Indianapolis, right, right, so right. I'm not backing out He was hauling ass. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's he's And it was obviously too loose. It was too neutral. Yeah. Um, the other thing is we didn't need to be going as fast as we were going. We had, we had it by a country mile. Yeah. And we literally were about to cue up the radio on the backstretch saying, we've got this easy. Well, and this was Saturday qualifying. You just had to make top nine. All you got to do is make top nine. Yeah. We've got this easy. You can back it down. We were right. getting ready to say that on the radio right. when he crashed. Um, the other thing is, is it was windy that day. 
uh, I walked up to him on the grid with two post-it notes, and one said add one turn of rear wing, and the other said add two rear turns of rear wing. And we had a talk about it, like we really should add some wing because it is windy, and we talked ourselves into not doing it. Wow. And in hindsight, that was yeah, a, a big mistake. You know, um, but yeah, I felt total responsibility. You know, I've uh, the accident happens when it first happens. I'm not watching the television. I'm watching telemetry. So you just see the steering trace go crazy. So, you know, something has just happened. Um, then you look at the TV and you see it happening and then you radio him. And the way you usually, you know, like, Sebastian, are you OK? Sebastian, are you OK? You know, when the driver doesn't respond, it's obviously really bad. In this case, he did actually respond. His response was, well, that's that, which was an interesting response. But, you know, he had just whacked the wall really hard. His pelvis is shattered and right. everything, so you can say whatever you want. <laughs> but we knew he was alive, yeah. so that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, because very often your reaction is, we just killed him. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, if that exactly. was big enough, we just killed him. Yeah. And, yep. and, you know, there's no worse feeling. There really isn't. Uh, but, yeah, feel total responsibility. To this day, I'm dragging around about it because I know we had a super fast car. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> we really stood a very good chance of being on pole. Yeah. We really stood a very good chance of winning the yeah, race. Yeah, I mean, the way the way Davison ran was yeah, an indicator of how good that car was. And yeah. that did not have exactly. an oval gearbox. It didn't have oval uprights. It didn't yeah. have the good body fit. It didn't right. have anything. Well, like, nothing against James, but he doesn't have Sebastian's experience. No, no. I to, mean, to I, we had like a that. really, so, really good yeah, shot. Yeah. So I get, I get down about it. I'm like, that was it. That was my best chance ever to win the Indy 500, and we made the car too loose. We didn't put enough wing in it, and we crashed it, and we threw the whole thing away, and maybe I'll never have the chance again. Right. I get down about it like that. Every time I get down about that, I try to, like, whack myself in the head. And I said, but he's alive. Yeah. But he's alive. And the reality is, is he's actually bounced back amazingly well. Like, yeah. he was back in the car in early August. He doesn't walk with a limp. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any psychological side effects. You know, he's got some screws and plates in him. Right. But he's fit. Right. Um, he's fine. So, you know, thank the Lord we got away with that one. Right. You know, and... It may well be that I never have the chance to win the Indy 500 like that again. Yeah. But my friend is still alive. Right. And we got to, you know, keep that in right. consideration. Wait, this isn't something we have to talk about. Were you Justin's race engineer? So I engineered. Okay, so all sorts of intersections with Justin. Because that was a weird yeah, setup. Yeah, all sorts yeah, yeah, of yeah. intersections with Justin. I engineered Justin the first time he came to the United States. He did a test drive in a Newman Haas Lola on an oval at the end of the 2002 season. So I engineered him at that test. So right. that was my first experience with Justin. In fact, he came here and he came, you know, a couple days extra for the seat fitting. And I took him to downtown Chicago and we toured around. Um, I think we took the architecture tour where you get on the boat. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, awesome. it's a great architecture awesome. tour. So yeah. we went and did that. And then we met uh, my girlfriend at the time for dinner, who yeah. has become my wife. Good. Um, and to this day, Justin's favorite race car driver because Justin didn't talk about race cars the whole <laughs> night. He talked about like family and his girlfriend right. and all that kind of stuff. So um, Helen thought he was a, a great British gentleman and uh, <laughs> really, really liked him. So that was my first time with Justin. Uh, then we raced against Justin, obviously. But when Bourdais left for Formula One, we needed a replacement. Uh, that came down really to either Will Power or Justin Wilson. Mm -hmm. Um. I pushed for Justin, and Will holds this against <laughs> me to this day, though I think things have worked out yeah, pretty well. Yeah, you're doing well. Just fine. Will, yeah, yeah. The whole Penske ride. Just fine. Um, 
because I thought Justin made fewer mistakes in the races at that stage than Will Power did. I thought Will made too many mistakes in the races. Um, so we got Justin Wilson and like, you know, he's going in the car that just won the championship. We're going to storm everything. And then Champ Car goes out of business. <laughs> right. And so suddenly we've got Justin Wilson thrown into the IRL whole deal, um, which was a real big problem, actually, because we had Justin and Graham at the time and we got our IRL cars to try and put them in. And, you know, we had the two tallest drivers. Right. They didn't fit in the car. Right. We had to do a complete exercise to move pedals, move master cylinders, just do all sorts of extraordinary things to fit such tall guys in the car. But we went from what would have been Justin's specialty, the road and street courses, right. you know, to tossing him out on, I think, probably 60% ovals. <laughs> I wasn't his race engineer that year, but I was, like, technical director of the team right. at the time. But he still won a race that year. Yeah. He won Detroit. And that actually ended up being Newman Haas Racing's last ever win. Yeah. Um, but uh, market forces being what they were, uh, Newman Haas had to let Justin go at the end of 2008. Um, I did actually engineer Justin at one race in 2008, Iowa. So his regular race engineer, his wife was having a baby. So I went and I ran him at Iowa. And I remember writing in the post-event report, you know, I totally believe I could win lots of races with Justin. Yeah. Like a really special guy. That's like page 40. Yeah. The notes. Yeah, no. It. You know what? That might actually. Usually, I put the conclusions in the front because I'm fully aware nobody reads. The whole thing. <laughs> so I put the important stuff on the front page. Good like so, that was there. Would you? Did you move my laptop? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, I wanted it in sight. And then uh, Justin decided to run with Andretti yeah. um, in 2015. And I would always do the fifth car at Indianapolis right. with Andretti's, and so I had Justin as my driver. Um, so we worked well together. Uh, it was good. It was great, you know, the reunion with him and everything. Um, I think we were highest Honda in qualifying, if I remember correctly. Uh, didn't have a good race, though. We developed a vibration with a tire, had to pit early, got caught down by a yellow. You never recovered from right. that. But I wasn't his race engineer for the remainder of the year. Okay. So I wasn't at Pocono when Justin had the accident with the debris. I was watching at home. Um, as soon as I saw it happen, my family happened to be in the room, wasn't really watching. I, I looked at Helen. I said, take the kids and go somewhere because yeah. I had a pretty good idea. You knew what I meant. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you could you Yeah, could tell. yeah, yeah. You could tell. Um, it hit me really hard yeah. because of knowing his yeah. two daughters. Yeah, of course. Um, and in a similar position as you in yeah, terms of life. And, yeah, and my, uh, my first reaction was to call, like, every race car driver I knew with kids and tell them they have to stop Right. Like, yeah, yeah. All right. You know, Very if you're a young guy reaction. and you're not married and you don't have any children, go ahead. Go out there. That's fine. Do whatever you want. Right. But once but. you have kids, you have to stop. You know, and like Sebastian had an interesting response to it. He said, Craig, racing is who I am. Yep. If I don't do this, I'm not me. Yeah. I'm aware of what can happen. I don't want it to happen. I want the, rate, the sport to be as safe as possible. But I'm aware of it and I have accepted it. Right. You know? Um, pretty, pretty philosophical, you know, and, and that, I think, carried him through the, you know, the accident that, that happened in May. Right. But, uh, you know, do I like the ovals? Yeah, I, sure. For an engineer, they're more of a, you know, the, the, the speed of the car is more about what your engineer is getting done than it is what your driver is getting done. Right. 
Um, so for the engineer, the ovals really should be the bigger challenge and the right. thing you look forward to. But I just hate the fact that every accident is a big accident. Yeah. You know, you can hurt the driver, and then just like the wreckage you get afterwards yeah, yeah, and yeah. the cost the big bill. and the effort to repair all of that is really a bummer. So, right. um, yeah. Right. Happier subjects. Yeah, um, move on to something good. Uh, I, here's how I know you're a good dad. Um, <laughs> So we were, you know, doing our uh, our research, if you will, not calling people from Mexico. And uh, I came across an article about a, a, a lightsaber that you gave to, to your, your chief mechanic. But forget that part of the story. What stuck out to me was that you were already in Disneyland buying a lightsaber for, for your girl. So what was one more? <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's a dad because you might be buying princess dresses, but you're also buying lightsabers for your, for, for your daughters. Yeah. Okay, we're in. Okay, 100%. so uh, two daughters, no sons. Yep. Okay. Um, but uh, I am fortunate that the daughters still seem to like me at this point. Good, right. There are nine of them. They definitely do have a math science bent awesome. to them, yeah. um, which my wife was just flabbergasted by. Is she a math scientist? She's person? a social worker. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, um, okay. she, she's okay. more educated than I am. Sure. She went to very good schools. Sure. But, you know, she's an arts and letters person. Right. Yeah. Um, and to the point that it, at this stage, like the math homework, she just sends me a she text said, with go. a picture and yeah. like, can you help them with number eight? <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that's great because number one, um, you know, I, I really feel like we need to encourage girls in the whole STEM thing. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I'd love to see more women in motor racing. Yeah. Good role models for right. my daughters, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so I definitely do try and encourage this stuff. When they were younger, they were certainly more willing to pal around with dad if I wanted to, like, haul them to a train museum awesome. or something like that. <laughs> I honestly think what happens is there's a lot of uh, societal gender pressures uh, and stereotypes, you know, that that they can tell that girls aren't supposed to be interested in stuff like that. And they might get made fun of at school for that. And I find that just really incredibly sad. Yeah. You know, and there's not a lot of female race car drivers. There is absolutely no reason a female race car driver can't be every bit as good as a male race car driver. Okay. Right, particularly in a car with power steering. Yep. yep. There is zero biological reason. And, the, and you know, you go to a go-kart track and I bet it's 40% young girls there. Yeah. So what is happening between when they're 8 and when they're 20 that they disappear? And I don't know what the answer to that is. Right. Um, but, you know, because I'm a father of two women, uh, you know, I'm sensitive to it. You know, and yeah. I've always made a, a point to, uh, like, uh, you know, have my daughters talk to Kara Adams, who, uh, yep. you know, is in charge Firestone of things engineer. at Firestone, yeah. um, you know, to, to be friendly with Catherine Legg. Uh, you know, wherever there are engineers uh, even involved with, say, uh, NASA or something yeah. like that, like, try to point them out and introduce them because I think it's important to see good role models yeah. like that. IndyCar and Champ Car, they, they had a, more Champ Car, but they had an international push to be, you know, global and things like that. So, obviously, you had Surface Paradise and races in different parts of the world. And what's probably the worst one you ever had to go to? You know, probably the one that, that stands out as the most difficult trip is 9-11. Okay. Uh, yeah, so yeah. when 9-11 went down, we were in... Um, we were in... Uh, <laughs> Leave my food alone. The waitress <laughs> just tried to take my food. <laughs> um, so we were racing first at Lautzis at the Euro Speedway yeah. in Germany, and then we were going to the Oval at Rockingham. Yeah. In England. Yeah. So it was like setup day when 9-11 went down. Yeah. Of course, we're away from the country, away from our families. You don't quite know what's going on. Um, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. I 
I think somebody had a satellite phone, and I just called my mother. I was like, Dad's not in New York City today, is he? Right. Um, but, you know, kind of, you know, there were people who were from my hometown who were killed, uh, yeah. you know, in the World Trade Center when it fell. Uh, so that was, you know, tough to be there while that was going down. Then there was talk of will we race or won't we race. Right. You know, it, it turned out we were the largest contingent of Americans outside of the United States when it went down, and they're all like, oh, are we a terrorist target? Yeah, sure. I, I remember joking, I'm like, you know, we have a hard time getting fans to come. I don't know if the terrorists are going to find us. <laughs> um, but when we came into the track the next hang. morning, the road was lined with hundreds of soldiers holding machine guns. Oh, wow. You know, like protecting the track. Yeah. Um, so that was a really somber time, but eventually we made the decision to race. And then that's the weekend Alex and Artie lost yeah. his legs. Yeah. yeah, you know, so we've gone from bad to worse here. Yeah. Yeah. And then we still have to go over to England and conduct the Rockingham. next race. Yeah. And then we go to England, and at Rockingham, um, they built an oval, which is like a square. Yeah. And they built it in a quarry, so it's below the water table. So if it rains oh, a lot, right. the water yeah. just comes up through the track. Yeah. yeah. So rather than like getting practice, we're sitting around with them dealing with a track that's got weepers and yep. stuff like that. And yeah. It was just a nightmare trip from from yeah. start to finish. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so if there was one that I I could have skipped, it was that. Yeah. Not because of anything wrong with Euro Speedway, but just a, just a lot of bad circumstances yeah. on that one. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, that was that was tough. Should we do this? Well, I was gonna say. Uh, where to go? Uh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Are you familiar with? I don't even know how many times he's won. I know you claim eight times. Is it eight? Okay. Yeah. I here's the thing. <laughs> I hear me out. I know you claim that between you and Sebastian, you were probably one of the winningest champ car eras uh, from 04 to 08 or 03 to 07. 04 to 07. Um, but you'd be wrong. Because. Because. <laughs> are, I, I got to know, are you familiar with, I don't know how to pronounce it, Mark Plord? All right, so I'm not one of these big internet message board guys. <laughs> yeah. But this is the guy who has continued to win the Champ Car Championship. Yes, yes. After. Well, it's gotten better, and I don't know if you After we know have this. retired, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Exactly. Eight times. Yeah. Eight Look times. Up, he's an eight-time champ. He's an eight-time Look up Mark Plord. He, Mark Plord. Apparently, Champ Car continued after its demise. All right. Yes. And you can get yearly stats yes. on press releases. a number of drivers doing well, but Mark Plord continues to win. He's just the guy. He's unstoppable. He's amazing. Look yeah. him up, Google. It's, it's you, you know, the, the E is silent. So, -O -O Newman Haas and Sebastian, and I guess by extension myself, we, yeah. we take a lot of abuse for those race wins and championships because yeah. uh, of the, they say, well, all the good drivers weren't there. Right. So who has Mark Plord been racing against that he's that he's dominating? Well, right. Right. Is, it a, is it a deep field? Oh, it's a deep. Like last Tim, I saw, like Tim Richels, <laughs> <laughs> Mark Rifkin. <laughs> um, but here's what: are, Have you kept up on the the adventures of Mark Plord's career path? I'm sorry, I haven't. Oh, because I think it's at markplord.com. Yeah, uh, or markplordracing. Yeah, it's racing. Dot com. Yeah. Um, your shirt's out of date. You're nice. wearing a Dale Coyne Racing shirt. Yeah. It's actually Mark Plord Dale Coyne Racing. He's hired me for next year? Uh, well, the team is, is re, has been rebadged. Yeah. It's, he's going to drive for are us you next online? year. Uh, yeah, I can We I can have to show you MarkPlordRacing.com. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty I, amazing. Sebastian is under contract for next well, year. Well, no, he's we driving have... for Mark Plord Dale Coyne Racing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, you got to uh, see that. This okay. is the most, like, 
he's on some sort of like CSS with the uh, with you the know, Dale Bain Racing I, I was in with Dale yesterday afternoon. He didn't mention any of this. Well, this is, a lot this of times the, the guys in the team are the last to know. That's often true. But, uh, That's very true. You, you gotta, oh, there's your favorite steering wheel. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you uh, got to check out this website. I got to get back to this. I mean, because like just... Obviously, All right, so this is Mark. So we're looking at Mark Plourde Racing right now. Yeah, that's it's P L U R D E. Okay, that's, that's your driver, right? That's that's that your is, car. That's, I, that's the Mark Plourde helmet. Yeah, yeah. used well, to be driving for Mark Plourde Dale Collin yeah, Racing. Mark Plourde Dale Collin Racing. And yep. And uh, wow. if you look at some of the website updates, uh, well, let's let's read the first headline here. It is uh, MP Racing completes 2007 IndyCar season with, with ninth, ninth place, place finish. That was that's a number yeah. race way. That was you guys. That Tri was. Uh, Driver Sebastian yeah. Bourdais returned from injury for the final three races of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so what I wanted, the message I would want to send to Mark, yeah. um, who I have not met, but. Uh, We're trying know, to get him season three, but as he's too big. A, <laughs> as a team owner, yeah. um, my job is to spend your money. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so yeah. I need resources. I need, okay. I need you know, uh, shaker rig tests. I need to design some extra new parts. We're definitely limited on our quantity of dampers, uh, particularly if they change the damper rule. we got new aero stuff we have to understand yeah, yeah, yeah. for this year. So um, You're not, I, yeah. I want Mark's money because okay. I'm right. going to yeah, spend sure. it. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, Roger Penske's out there spending a lot of his own personal money to dominate yeah. the world. And, Mark, if you want to do this correctly, um, send a check. This is why I know you're a team player because in all of that, I didn't hear a pay increase. Yeah, I was going to say. That's the I first thought that thing was where we were going. He's like, you wanted a boat or something. Yeah. No. On the Larry Curry route. Uh, <laughs> my wife would say, you know, make sure you know your own value, but yeah. I tend to forget about that. And I'm like, yeah, but honey, if I ask for more money, then we like can't test it mid Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> It's it's sad. It's you know we all know it's a bit We're of a good. disease. We're good. You know. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, so tell Mark to contact me. I'll I'll put forward a budget. Sure. Does Dale know hey. that he's in a partnership? I'm gonna have to let Dale know about yeah, yeah, this. Right. Please um, don't please don't send him a C and D because this is entertainment for us. Please don't ruin this for us. We're really enjoying I'm Mark Floyd's. Sure, exploits. if Dale has things like lawyers, like it's <laughs> a pretty pretty small operation we have Fair going. Enough. Fair um, enough. So. Fair enough. So we do a pass-along question on, on every episode. Okay. Yesterday we had lunch with Ryan Lewis, who is a uh, Toyota Atlantic standout, uh, British F3, things like that. Okay. And lives in Indianapolis. All right. And his question was, how much better is Mario than Michael, or is Michael, or Mario better than Michael? Like, who is the better of the two? I'd love to be – well, okay, so you're obviously going to say Mario is better sure. because Mario is a Formula One world right, champion. Right, right. Uh, Mario did win the Indy 500, albeit only once. Uh, Mario won the Daytona 500. Yeah. Uh, Mario is more of a household name because he did this all in a time when motor racing was more popular. Right. You know, everybody in the world knows who Mario Andretti is. Um, Mario was also very fortunate, like lucky star, right? Because he operated at a time when a lot of guys didn't make it through their career, and Mario did. Uh, he is still, what's Mario now, 77? far and away the world's coolest 77-year-old man, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, he's driving the two-seater all the time, and he's got those guys, like, making setup adjustments on the thing, and he's measuring <laughs> stagger and, like, adjusting tire pressures and stuff. Like, if you're getting the two-seater ride from Mario, like, it's a real ride. Like, yeah. he's not yeah, messing yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when, when Hinch got hurt at Indianapolis when he was driving at the Indy GP, he took the yeah, flap yeah. in the head, and yeah. he was knocked unconscious, so he was out for practice. Uh, Mario showed up in the garage. He's like, I'll drive. <laughs> we're like, 
you're, you're kidding. No, no, I'll set it up for him. Like, uh, it's just something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's awesome. So I think you have to answer Mario. But the reality is, is I only worked with Mario for one year. Right. I, it was my first year, so I didn't know what the hell was going on. Sure. And Mario was 56 years old. So yeah. he was at really at the end of his career, and the qualifying speed wasn't there anymore. But I did work with Michael in his prime. Um, the greatest thing about working with Michael is that no matter where you qualified, you thought you could win the race. Yeah, yeah. Like, even if he's back in, like, 18th, you're like, you know what? If we can somehow get him on some sort of strategy that gets him up front, he is so tenacious, just so badly wants to pass everybody, you can win this thing. Yeah. So you always felt like you could win. And that's a good feeling when you're a crew member. You really want to be part of that. And I really thought other drivers, like, that black car would get up behind him and they would, like, make a mistake or even, like, let him by because they were so afraid he was going to, like, cut their tire down or nudge him out of the way, or just by sheer force of will, go by him. So it was great working with Michael like that. I think it's interesting that Michael has flourished as well as he has as an owner. Yes. You know, he's, and I think Michael would probably tell you he has enjoyed his time as an owner more than he enjoyed his time as a driver. Interesting. You know, um, it's good Michael found that. Like, these people, they're so competitive. They have to find an outlet have to once, have, they're, exactly. once they're done driving. Yep. Otherwise, they will just eat themselves alive you know they'll explode you know and I, I i think it's great michael has found what he's found yeah you know so tomorrow we're gonna have lunch or dinner uh, dinner dinner with brian till okay yeah uh, current uh commentator race uh, steward for yep. world challenge but also longtime indy car open wheel driver right any question you would uh, have for brian Till? oh gosh so it would either have to be something about driving an indy car or it would have to be about the commentating or nothing I don't know him well. I mean, I know him well enough to say hello and that sort of thing. But really, does um, anyone know Brian? He's elusive. It's a philosophical question. Okay, yeah. I, do I, can I pull out my phone here? Yeah, I sure. believe Brian Till did drive for Dale Coyne. At one oh, point that's a great question. If that I, yeah. is true, going to the bat phone here. If yeah, that yeah, is yeah. true, we will uh, we will we will formulate some sort of Dale Coyne question. Are we going to get an email with 40 pages of additional potential no, Brian Till questions? No, I'm not going to. The follow-up to that. <laughs> there, will be, there will be a report on how well the podcast went. <laughs> that would be the I greatest souvenir. I would love, like, Dale Coin Racing letterhead yeah. email, like, okay, yeah, this is what we got to fix. Except I can't afford 50 frames. <laughs> 1994, which was my rookie year, Brian Till drove, it appears, two races for Dale Coin. Nice. My question, I suppose, would be is from when you drove for Dale Coyne in 1994 to how Dale Coyne and his team are now, what do you see as the things most similar and what do you see as the things that have changed the most? Well, let's talk about Dale for a second because, like, the guy takes a lot of grief because... <laughs> uh, TBA. Yeah, because, like, TBA is... is Probably the most uh, entered driver that Dale's yep. ever had. Yep. Uh, you know, the team has earned the reputation of taking a lot of paid drivers, qualifications, questionable things like that. Um, one, do you think that's fair? Uh, and then two, what do we not know about Dale Quinn? Because I really don't know much about him beyond like seeing Sonny's barbecue on the side of the car. Well, um, okay, so Dale has a good friend who does work with us on the team. His name yeah. is Terry Brown. They grew up together. Okay. So Terry flies into the races 
Uh, he actually does the air jack on Sebastian's car. Oh, cool. Okay. So he's a 60-something-year-old man doing the air Still jack on the done. back of Sebastian's like car for the pit stops. But they've known each other forever. Yeah. So Terry has been there from the ground floor. And Terry will say, if it were my race team, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. But I would be out of business, and Dale is still here. Yep. So that's the number one key, is that if you're a fan of IndyCar racing, you should appreciate Dale because it puts two cars out on the grid yeah. that potentially otherwise might Wouldn't not be, be there. Yep. Um, and sometimes in those cars is an up-and-coming star that we all benefit from seeing. Paul Tracy, yep. maybe Connor Daly, yep. Justin Wilson. You know, a lot of really good things there. Maybe Ed Jones is the next one of those. Yeah. So you have to appreciate Dale for that. Uh, the other thing is, is, and I said it earlier in the podcast, I believe Dale Coyne puts more of his personal money in every year than any other owner other than Roger Penske. It's millions of dollars, folks, of his own money that he spends to make this happen. Now, do we want to operate at a higher level with more people or more spare parts or something like that? Sure. But the only way that is going to happen is if we ask Dale for yet more millions of dollars. Right, right. And I'll tell you, if it were my money, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. He's doing it out of passion and love for the sport. Um, Dale was once a driver. Yep. You know, people, I think, at this point don't know that. Uh, so uh, Dale grew up on a farm outside of Chicago. Uh, he had a landscaping business where he and his crew cut grass. And then he started racing on an amateur level and worked up to Super V and then said, you know what, I'm going to try this whole cart thing. <laughs> um, but he did it by buying uh, year-old cars and then converting them to stock blocks and things like that. Um, but he had a model that basically made it possible to go at the lowest possible cost and to participate. Um, Dale really stepped up this past year, um, you know, hiring Sebastian, bringing me on, Olivier Besson on. Um, we got a really good crew on, on the team. Everybody has a lot of skill. They're, they're good mechanics. It's just we don't have a lot of people. Right. Which is just part of the crime, the shame of what happened this year is that we were doing something really special and you know, I'm not going to say we got it taken away from us because we did it to ourselves, but unfortunately we did it to ourselves and the year fell apart. Yeah. So Dale invested all that money and then didn't get out of it what he deserved to get out sure. of it. Uh, I, I get really irritated when fans uh, get down on Dale because he provides a huge asset to the sport. Right. You need to appreciate him for the investment that he makes, and he's doing it purely because he loves open-wheel IndyCar racing. You know, we were... Uh, we were leading the points at the beginning of the year there. Yeah. You know, we, we had the win at St. Pete. Uh, right. We had a, a fairly fortuitous, but I'll take it second place at Long Beach. We had an okay race at Barber. We went into Phoenix. We knew Phoenix was going to be a struggle because the Honda Aero Kit isn't quite competitive compared to the Chevy Aero Kit at the Short Oval. Yeah. But we were very happy with the car in practice. Yeah. Certainly, we were the strongest Honda in practice. So I was looking forward to the race, you know, a night race and everything. And the green flag flies. And sure enough, right there on the start, we get Gunselman straight away, yeah. and it you know it takes out our car. Right. We get crashed. We don't even make it through turn one. Yeah, very frustrating. So does the name Ty Manso? I know Ty quite well. So Ty works on my car. Okay, real time. So Ty is speed bump. 
Yeah, okay. You know, you know why Ty is speed bump? I'm guessing it's because of this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was there when I thought we killed Ty. Okay. Um, so Ty was the vent and air jack guy yeah. on the Michael Andretti Newman Haas car, and we were racing at Milwaukee. Yep. Um, we had a problem with the pit stop, and Michael kind of had like a time delay fuse on him for the pit stops, that a pit stop should take a certain amount of time, and if it was taking maybe two or three seconds longer than that, right. Michael just kind of decided he was going anyway. Um, <laughs> and so the, the, pit stop, <laughs> the pit stop wasn't over, and Ty was still there uh, in between the wheels, and Michael started to go, and it sucked Ty in, first his foot, then his leg, then up to his hips, and the car just ran him over completely. Yeah. He basically went between the side pod and the, and the rear tire. Yeah, because back like, then the air jack and the vent was on the top of the car behind the rollover hoop. You were standing between the wheels. Yeah. And, yeah, Ty got completely and totally run over during the pit stop. And I think I might have been doing the dead man even. So I was right there watching it. And what happened was he was wearing a helmet, thank God, yeah. but the helmet spun 90 degrees on his head. And from the outside, that looked like you broke his neck, right, right? right? So I was like, oh, yeah, okay, we just killed Ty. Great. <laughs> um, and Ty himself, as, he, as he, he'll describe it, when he started going under the wheel, he closed his eyes. And then when he opened his eyes, it was black because this helmet has been spun on his head. Yeah. And he said, oh, black, I must be dead. <laughs> um, and then it all sort of started to figure out, uh, you know, that he wasn't dead. And Michael's, it's actually stalled the car, as I recall. And the car's sitting there, and Michael's wondering why we're not starting it. And the rest of us are, like, attending to Ty, thinking that we've, like, hurt him in some horrific way. Right. Um, so Ty got the nickname Speed Bump. Right. But it's a result of that accident and a few others like it. Is Wait, the what? reason uh, <laughs> this wasn't the first thing, first time we went through this? Many vent and air jack guys sure. got not hit. just Andretti. Okay. Yeah. okay, this was the most spectacular result. Copy. Yeah, this is on Copy. ESPN Copy. or whatever. Um, I remember watching this as but, a kid. But now we have the air jack at the back of the car, yeah. so that he is not standing in, in between place, the yeah. wheels. So yeah. we got one guy out from there, and then the other thing is, is that the refueling probe. That guy is still there, but there's now a safety interlock system that, as long as that probe is in you should not be able to put the car into gear right. to pull away. Uh, nice. So there's an okay. optical sensor. It's watching for the probe. The probe is there. You can't select first gear. Okay. So um, were you there the day uh, Damata had his accident? Road at Road America. So, yeah, I wasn't working with Damata. He right. was driving for Roosport. Russo, right. Sebastian and I were out of the car at that point. We were yeah. probably having a change done on the car. We were just talking on the pit wall about right. it, and I heard it. So I, I heard the... It was in turn five? Uh, it was going up the hill. So it would have oh. been like off. He probably went off in six, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, so you heard a bit of an impact. Oh, wow. And then the pit lane. And then the throttle stuck. And you just heard... And, you know, instantly you're like, okay, something just happened. Yeah. Right? And that actually ended up being the end of the test day because there was the whole, we have to get him out. We have to get him in the life flight helicopter. We have to fly him out of there. And then there's like, well, there could be other deer. You right. know, yeah. Yamada hit a deer right in the face, you know, yeah. going pretty fast up the hill, and, and that's what injured him. Um, so they had to end the day because we, we didn't know what to do about the possibility there was more wildlife yeah. out there. Um, so I went home. You know, we had work to do, but I think it was roughly a week or two weeks later, um, I drove back up to Nina, Wisconsin, to visit his family, visit his brothers, right. and, and to visit him. He was in a coma. He wasn't aware. 
um, you know, Cristiano, quite a good guitar player. I, I got some Joe Satriani CDs. Uh -huh, cool. And I took them with, and I handed yeah. them to brothers and just said, you're just play these for him. Like, if he can hear anything, he could listen to these, yeah, you right, know? Right. Um, but it was really scary because he looked like he weighed 70 pounds and he curled up in a fetal position. There was a section of his skull missing at that point. Oh, you know, his head is shaved. Yeah. And you're just looking at it, it's like, oh my God, you know, he's going to die. Um, and now to see him now, pretty much fine. Yeah. He's a father, married, doing well down in Brazil. Um, you know, I, I saw him at the, the Haas Memorial um, basically a year ago in October. Um, it's, it's a miracle and it's great. Yeah, good. You mentioned getting stopped by fans. It's, it's, um, I'll put you and I on a similar level of you're not, I'm, a, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a bold statement that you're maybe not equipped to handle fans. And here's what I mean by that. You don't, it's not happening all the time. No, like Ryan, Ryan goes, we, we stop in Indy and all of a sudden 16 people come up to Ryan because they love his podcast. No one knows who the f I am and I'm fine with that. Um, but when, on occasion when I get stopped, uh, <laughs> on occasion when I get stopped, I like literally, like I'm appreciative of having fans of the podcast, but I literally have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Um, my wife will say I like to talk. So, <laughs> okay. fair you know, enough. That, that's okay. Um, if it's a, a good time, you know, when things are going okay at the track or I'm not like incredibly busy, right. I really, I recognize that the sport doesn't exist without the fans. Yes, of course. So you got to put an effort forward. Yeah, right. You know, ask them what it is they like. Who's their favorite driver? Why are they here? Yeah. You, know, are they, you have like your preset yeah, of like, these are know, the five you things just, you engage Just engage them because yeah. they would just like to, to, to know that you've recognized them as people. Yes. Um, the trouble becomes when like, I've just wrecked the car and I don't know what we're going to do. And yep. I'm like ripping back to the truck and, you know, Sebastian's angry at me. Yep. Like that's not the ideal time. And I probably was a jerk, right. you know, and I'm, I'm, yep. I'll, I'll apologize to everybody out there in podcast land for <laughs> that time. Um, you know, it just happens. Uh, you know, people like very often they're like, hey, I, you know, I want you to sign the hat. Oh, and really? my, my reaction is like. No, I'm the engineer. I'm the engineer. I don't drive. Yeah, yeah. Like, why do you, you know, but they, they view you as part of the sport. That's great. And they love the sport and appreciate the sport. So sign their damn hat. Yeah, you know, awesome. like yeah, it's, yeah, it's, for it's, sure. You do that. Um, if they want a picture, try to take do a it. picture with yeah, them. Right. Um, yeah. Very often I'm the guy taking the picture, you know, like Sebastian <laughs> and the fan. Oh, and I, I got to hold the phone. I understand this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the best one is uh, Sebastian, when he was living in Europe and racing for Peugeot, uh, you know, at Le Mans. Yeah. Um, I went, he invited, he said, you want to come over for Le Mans? You know, that's very important to him. He's from Le Mans. Yeah. And I had the weekend available, so I, you know, booked the plane ticket and I flew myself over to Le Mans and uh, stayed at his parents' house and did the Le Mans 24 hours, uh, which I had never done before. Um, it was a little awkward because his parents don't speak English and Sebastian wasn't at his parents' house, so like there was a lot of like waving and <laughs> hand gestures and stuff like <laughs> right. that, but we managed. Okay. <laughs> um, that was the year Peugeot was dominating. Yeah, like yeah, Sebastian yeah. was going to win the race. He sat on pole. He never even got to drive the car. Yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wishbone pulled out. And yeah, that was that. But I had full access with Peugeot. So it cool. was great. I yeah. could be in the back. I could talk to their engineers. I could look at their cars. Right. Um, they were all very upset because one by one their cars fell yeah. out. Fell yes. out, and they yeah. should have won, and they didn't. But it was neat to see it from behind the scenes. Yeah. I said to people, I said, I've often dreamed of what racing with an unlimited budget looks like and it looked a lot like that yeah. <laughs> like really cool uh but even though sebastian was done after 17 minutes or whatever i said well i've flown all this way i'm staying here for 24 yeah, hours right. i could do yeah. this so you know i walked around the track i ate my crepes i yeah. went and saw the ferris wheel yeah. i saw the 
uh, beer can pyramids out by the uh, the tents. Um, got to do, I think I was with like Jeremy Shaw, did some TV broadcast oh, in the cool. middle of the night. And I, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. But in part of my excursion, walking around in the middle of the night, some random French dude comes up to me. He's got his like beret in his backpack. He's like, Monsieur Craig, what are you doing here? Nice. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, and it's obvious, okay, Sebastian's from Lamar, people in Lamar, yeah, they're gonna realize, but like, so yes, yeah, yeah. I just got recognized in the middle of the night walking around Lamar. Right. That's awesome. So, That's uh, so yeah. cool. Now, I'm sure it's frustrating to be with a smaller team and knowing the resources you're up against. Is it more frustrating to know that you have to eat Sonny's barbecue every day? All right, I'm going to tell you something, and I actually mean this. Sonny's Barbecue is really good. Sure. So Dale owns the Sonny's Barbecue franchise in Sebring. Yep. Okay. So when we go down to Sebring and we test, yep. he has his people bring the stuff over yep. for yep. lunch. Dale personally enjoys plating it, so he gets the gloves okay. on and he pulls the pork and he plates it all well, out. He's not going to get fired for doing it wrong. <laughs> and I had never had it prior to working sure. for Coin. Yeah. Sure. It's great. The and Dale will tell you all about it yeah. because he's really into he's, it. Yeah, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I guess they like grow the pigs in Denmark or something because like they huh. have the best ribs and they fly yeah, them yeah, in. Yeah. It's like a serious Got deal. Got that Danish pig money. You know. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, Dale is very serious about his motor racing, but he's very serious about his uh, the his, his Sunny's barbecue stuff as well. Very good. Okay. He owns a number of franchises. Um, when the hurricane was going towards Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, we all looked at each other. We're like, uh -oh. let's just pray those franchises are okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like we need those Sunny's barbecues to survive. <laughs> Otherwise, our motor racing program <laughs> could suffer that. here. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I like it. Like, I look forward to having it. Yeah. It's good. I like Sunny's barbecue. I No, I am too. I'm just saying, like, in my head, it's like, what are we going to do for lunch today? And then Dale walks in like, oh, you know what you're doing today. You know, <laughs> but it's, it's only like, in Florida. Oh, it's, it's only in Florida. So there's no, no one. It only in happens like, when we're in Florida. Oh, his oh, okay. are only in Florida. So they're not, yeah, they, he doesn't have yeah. any next to the shop in no, Illinois. No, it's no, like, oh, look at that. There's Sonny's right there. In fact, right I think Sonny's is a southern chain. I'm not yeah. positive. Oh, okay. um, but, yeah, we only we only doing the Sonny's thing in Florida. Okay. Um, and, right. and I like it, like I said. Oh, no, I'm not debating the quality. You know how? In my head, you're always Why don't you like Sonny's barbecue, Sean? I'm going to have to tell Dale you don't like Sunday. Oh, oh, that will never get We it. should start a Heckman coin rivalry. I, uh, yeah, because yeah. that'll, that's, I'm pretty sure I know who's, who everybody's going to side with. And I it's have, not going to be me. I have suggested to Dale, sure. actually, and he, he didn't seem too excited, but I said, you know, Dale, why don't you get like a truck? Yeah. And you have a Sonny's Barbecue stand at every, every IndyCar race. Yes, yeah. he should. Like, people Absolutely. know the name because Absolutely. it's on the car. Oh, yeah. And the stuff's pretty good. Like, you're going to you're gonna sell stuff. You're going to hook yeah. some addicts yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, if only there was, like, a food racing-themed podcast. Okay. Uh... And a food organization that could come together, <laughs> you know, for only a few million, for just a cool, cool mill. couple million. Man, if somebody started a <laughs> podcast around eating yeah. while talking right, about, about motor racing, racing right. it would be brilliant. And yeah, somebody yeah. had like a barbecue company they wanted to like side just on there, go right yeah. into there. You know, and Karina, there was, are you listening? If there were only some races in Florida that right. we could yeah, set this right. up boom. at, you yeah, know, like boom. at Sebring or St. Pete, Daytona, something like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I dear Mister Sunnies, I think. <laughs> Mr. Sun. I think we might know some people. Okay. All right. Done. See? Right. Making podcasts, making money. All right. We've, we've held you long enough, but if there was a sort of a, a Craig Hampson legacy you were hoping to establish with this, uh, with this huge deal that you're doing right now. 
Like, what's the thing on Monday that when one of your guys listens to this, he goes, oh, you didn't tell him about the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what's the, like, I wish people knew this about me. We know you're an awesome dad. Civil War it's, figurine collection. Yeah. It... Yeah, I haven't heard anything about weird hobbies. I asked uh, a you friend of ours. You don't have time for hobbies. In this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have children and work. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's like, race reports. That's my hobby. Yeah, that, clearly. <laughs> I don't know what I necessarily want the fans to know about me, but I do want the fans to know that we're trying really hard to get ourselves more and more competitive each year. Yeah. Um, when I switched from a big team to a little team, I fully knew what that involved. Yep. And that it's a long, long-term process. Um, but we're going to do our best to try and have 2018 continue on the way 2017 started. And for the guys on the team, we're going to continue trying to have fun while we're doing it. So that's the plan. I like it. And hopefully my kids don't hate me at the end of all this. <laughs> <laughs> you got plenty of years for that. Uh, all right. All right. Anything else? Oh, uh, wait, by the way, you're really, uh, I'm just looking at, you're looking things up right now. You're, you're very well-spoken and very approachable. Why are you not on Twitter? Well, there's, I guess, a time factor. Sure. Um, I'm kind of older. It is, yeah, it is That's uh, like a millennial thing, isn't it? I think, like, I can see it with your personality, because you don't know us at all, and you kind of dove right in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve Matchett got to be right. really big on right. uh, for, for being so helpful with yeah. that stuff. Then he goes on social media and does the same thing. Right. Yeah. And he'll just answer questions all the time about engineering that a yeah. lot of it, The only thing, you'd have to know. keep things under 280 characters or whatever. Well, what no, it's double it? now. It's 280 now. As of when? As of like, like a last day or week. two ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Huh. 280 oh, you characters. You have twice as much Game to on. say now. But that's what I'm <laughs> saying. I don't know if you can keep it. Like, if you're writing 100 page reports, I don't know that 280 characters is your style. Yeah, it's not really. Right. Like, you know, when I send, like, I was I was a late adopter of the cell phone. I sure. sort of tried to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. And the like the younger drivers and stuff, they're like, why do you put punctuation in your text messages? <laughs> I'm just like, well, you're supposed to use like it's like sloppy it's like if you English. don't put yeah, yeah. punctuation. <laughs> in, but yeah, I I don't know. Um, you know there uh, there had been some talk with uh, Terry Linger um, oh, yeah. about like, okay, is yeah. there some way of like you know, can you do a pit road broadcast or, or something, something yeah, sometime? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm doing this right now. And, yeah. I've, you know, uh, as they say, have a face for radio. So, um, <laughs> you know, we'll see someday right. in the future. You're, you're genuinely, this isn't blowing smoke up your ass. You're really good at this. So. Well, I appreciate that. Um, anyway, well, I think. Uh, uh, one thing I would like to do yes. is if we get, like, a waitress to take a picture of us doing this, oh. and I'll send it to Karina. Oh, we're, yeah, this is, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, part yeah, of our yeah, post. Yeah. post yeah. When hey, we hey, do hey, our post let report. us steer the ship oh, here. I'm what are sorry, you doing? I'm just Clearly, we're broadcast professionals. on the Craig Hampson podcast. Yeah. Jeez. Hijacking the thing. We'll explain a few things when we wrap out here, but um, but we really, sh I mean, we've been here a couple hours now, and poor Dario is still waiting in the car, feeding the meter. So, right. uh, All right. so we should get out of here. So, Continental's got the check. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate it. I'm finished. And that was Craig Hampson. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with an engineer, but that guy is very well spoken, and uh, I smell a broadcasting career in his future. 
should he choose to go that route? Now, like we said earlier, you may have noticed that uh, some of the earlier parts of his career and, and a lot of sort of the engineering details uh, were not included in the episode, and that's because right after this is done, we're going to go right into another Craig Hampson episode, which is just focused on sort of what a, an aspiring engineer may want to hear, so stay tuned for that. Even if you're not an engineer or an aspiring engineer, uh, it's still pretty interesting, but but really we wanted to have a standalone episode for all those Formula SAE kids and, and young folks who are interested in getting involved in racing but really don't know what to expect, and we just thought this would be a good thing to do. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, uh, being a father of a, a couple of girls, we wanted to go with another submission from a female musician who... Uh, we kind of liked her sound and thought it would be good for this Craig episode. Uh, this is an artist by the name of Lioness, uh, but there's a silent K in there, so it's L-I-O-K-N-E-S-S. She has a song called Help, and you can find that and many others on Lioness.com. That's L-I-O-K-N-E-S-S.com, as well as SoundCloud. Enjoy! Oh, it's my sedan, so let me go straight Can't you see I want it? 